Hello and welcome to Talking Moves, a podcast from Greenwich Dance where dance artists come together to talk about their work and practice, the things that matter and the issues that move them. I'm Melanie Precious and in this episode I'm talking with two artists about dancing differently. There's never been a better time to look at how we do what we do. To think not just outside of the box but around it, underneath it. In fact, why not kick the box out of the way altogether? But even before our worlds changed, thanks to the global pandemic, artists were already moving away from the conventional and working in exciting new ways, creating new partnerships, new audiences, and new platforms for their work. The two innovative artists here today have been challenging the status quo for some time. As well as in theatres, you're just as likely to have seen their work in museums, hotels, galleries, schools, caves, festivals, TV talent shows, music videos, and in the post. We have with us Katie Green, director of Made by Katie Green and the Imagination Museum, a choreographer, teacher, and mentor. She describes the work of her company as using dance, text, and music to respond to places where you would not usually find dance. Her work has included large-scale commissions for specific sites and participation projects for children. But most recently, Katie's been interested in exploring heritage through her work and presentation, often in a promenade format. And we have Ivan Blackstock, a multidisciplinary artist, choreographer and curator who has risen up through the urban dance ranks, breaking ground on the way. He's forged an independent commercial career, dancing and working with brand campaigns and music videos. He's performed with Boy Blue, Zoo Nation, Breaking Convention, co-founded Bird Gang Dance Company and founded Cross Platform, an organisation celebrating the underground creative scene. Ivan, Katie, welcome. It's lovely to have you here. Hey, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) So first, let's find out a little bit more about you and how you've been working of late, what you've been up to. Ivan, what's been going on artistically for you? Whoa, a lot has been going on, especially um, the past kind of year and a half. So I've been working on, um, I wouldn't say a production, it's kind of like a, a dream I've been working on. A dream. There you go. Doing things differently right from the bat. Yeah. <laughs> Tell so us about this dream. This dream started a while back, just before, I'll say, 2015. And it was looking at mental health, especially within the Black experience. And it kind of manifested into a stage play. And it's a working title at the moment. I'm still kind of building it, but it's called Trap Lord of the Flies. And um, at this current stage, I'm working with two amazing partners, which I can't say at the moment, but we're looking to present the work in autumn 21. And basically the piece works with professional dancers and young dancers that are not in education, employment or training. And um, from 2015, I've kind of taken this kind of concept or this this work in different places. So I've taken it to Paris La Villette, performed it at Sadler's World Breaking Convention, performed it at Latitude Festival. Um, so it's kind of done the rounds and also outside of my choreographic work, I've recently taken a new position at the 180 Strand as artist director of 180 Studios. So that's really exciting and artistically and creatively <laughs> um, I have been just trying to help people that's kind of majority of my kind of work stands and kind of how can I say um, that's where I really get excited about you know helping people so I've right. been helping people um, get to where they want to get to and helping them manifest their dreams that's incredible 
a wide portfolio. And also, I was going to ask you where it was coming from. And, and, and you've given us that. Katie, what's been going on for you over the last couple of years? What have you been working on? So I was really lucky to get some uh, strategic touring funding from the Arts Council way back in 2018 is when I first found out that I'd received it. And that money was to develop a project commemorating the 400th anniversary of the sailing of the Mayflower from England to America, which happened in 1620. So we've been touring a version of a work in museums that I created in 2013 called the Imagination Museum. We created a special Mayflower specific version of this and we've been taking it to communities linked to the passengers that were on board the Mayflower ship. So throughout 2019, we were in Lincolnshire and North Nottinghamshire. And just at the beginning of this year, we went on to Hampshire and uh, we were due to be in Plymouth right now. (laughs) So when uh, lockdown happened, uh, we had to put a pause on all of our activity that was due to be happening in Hampshire and Plymouth. And really, fortunately, we are beginning discussions about rescheduling that for next year and rescheduling it as live performance, which is kind of exhilarating to know that might still be a possibility, although it might look different to how it was originally intended. But uh, in the meantime, I got some emergency funding from the Arts Council to put together a creative care package for all of the communities that we should have been working with at this time. School groups and groups of home educated children and um, adult groups as well. So we've put together a a box which has a letter uh, written to the recipient as if they were on board the Mayflower and then some tasks to help them put themselves in the footsteps of the people who came before them. And we're just starting to send those out, which feels particularly given at the moment It feels like maybe increased lockdown is maybe imminent. It feels really good (laughs) to be sending that out. Perfect timing. (laughs) Yeah, even though it felt like, oh, we're a bit late and maybe we've missed the boat. um, There's a pun, there's a Mayflower pun there, which always comes up. But actually the the, the timing (laughs) feels good because it's difficult now because people have sort of started to come out of things and, and then actually they're having to... Uh, step back a bit so it's good for people to be receiving this thing which we've designed so that it feels like a real treat I think to receive through the post and it comes directly into people's homes and it links with I've seen I've seen a picture of this uh, from one of our close colleagues and it looks fantastic and I think it's such an innovative idea and you're right it is a funny time isn't it we're in that sort of hybrid place of not quite knowing whether we're, we're pushing forward or retreating so from the outside looking in you're both doing something that feels unique. Obviously, you're both really different in the ways that you're working, but that sense of trying to carve a new place for your work uh, feels similar with both of you. And I described in my introduction that you were challenging the status quo, and I wondered how much of this for you is conscious and deliberate and how much is simply accidental and the way your careers have taken you. And when I talk about the convention, I suppose I'm talking about making dance, touring dance, that kind of pattern that many companies find themselves in, which you, you seem to be almost consciously breaking. Is that purposeful? Whoever wants to jump in. Ivan, you look pensive. It's a bit of both, to be honest. Um, you know, my practice 
is hip hop and street dance. And um, especially in the world of theatre, it's really hard to, I feel it's really hard to get that sort of work programmed or funded. And it's always kind of, I feel pushed to the side or boxed into an idea of youth project outreach. And um, it's gone so beyond that. And we can see the power of hip hop and street dance, especially globally, especially in this current time where everyone's jumping on TikTok doing hip hop moves. Yeah. And, you know, we've got amazing pioneers from the UK scene, from Benji Reed to John Z D, you know, that's really helped pave the way for artists like myself and, um, you know, something I can connect to. And part of it has been um, survival, actually you know, uh, and moving into different space to survive, trying to survive financially, you know, and trying to survive artistically. So yes, yes, it has been unconscious in that sense, but it's been very conscious in certain areas because what I was always interested in was how music artists find really interesting ways to engage with their audience or they find really interesting ways to put their narrative onto multiple mediums. So one day I decided that's what I'm going to start doing. And maybe in the back of my head, what I wanted to be was a singer or a rapper, but I wasn't really vocal. Um, And obviously I studied at the Erdang Academy before I went to London Contemporary Dance School. It it helped a lot, but um, how can I say those institutions felt like that you can only go down this road, you know? And with hip hop and street culture, it has a really interesting entrepreneurial spirit. And, you know, it is always about, you know, finding your own way, do it yourself. So um, I just started kind of retreating back to my roots in that sense and to the culture and looking at ways how they engage with people and, you know, build community and get their voice out. So what I decided to do was go the other way and start presenting my work in different type of spaces, unconventional spaces, open mic nights, house parties, you know, and um, start to build an audience there. So it was very conscious in that sense of, um, let me take something that I feel that works, especially within the music industry. They build independent record labels, there's a lot of independent artists, where within dance, sometimes I feel we wait to be signed by an agent or we have to feel like we have to join a well-known company to be successful. That's really interesting what you say about the vocational journey as well, isn't it? And that feels like there's sometimes these channels from youth dance and the private dance scene, modern tap, ballet, you know, the conventional way to get in and then vocational schools and then spit you out the other end. And where does your art form flourish? It's not in that trajectory, is it? Um, Katie, what about you? Why and how have you started to forge this interesting collaboration and direction for your work? So in the first instance, as you describe, it was sort of accidental. I had always been making work in lots of different places And then I was working for UCS in Ipswich, the university there, working with a group of second year students at Ipswich Museum, uh, doing a site specific choreographic module and just felt like there was really something in it, what we were doing there. And uh, it kind of met the different aims I have for my work to do with just storytelling, but kind of specifically talking about a shared past or a kind of shared human experience and museums are just incredible 
incredibly rich as source material for things that connect us, things that go right back to right now. And I just started asking other museums. So Ipswich Museum are wonderful and continue to do incredible work. And I started asking other museums as well, if I made a piece, would you have us? (laughs) We're a dance company. (laughs) And I'm not sure I've ever heard no. That's probably not true. But you might be surprised that even in the beginning, spaces that have these kind of conventions that are understood about how you interact with the space and this kind of do not touch approach, everything's behind glass, which is not how museums are now necessarily. But lots of people were looking for new ways to interpret their collections or different elements of their collections. And so it kind of built really rapidly. And as a result, I started to see, like I said, the way that this kind of matched with my choreographic ambition, but also we were just meeting and speaking to people who had never seen anything like this before. And still the thing that most people say about the work that I tour is that it's unexpected because it happens in spaces that are open to the general public. So people can coincidentally be in a space, a museum or a library or a gallery, and then just see a performance or see us rehearsing, which is somehow even better because we can have a conversation with them about what's going on. We can get their feedback. And that kind of directness and engagement with a new audience was really inspiring to me. And so I think after a point, it became more and more deliberate. And I started to realise that also there were lots of other people trying to do this or doing this as well. And more recently, one of the good things that's come out of lockdown is that I've had an opportunity to connect more, more intensively, I guess, with that dance and heritage community through the Imagination Museum Consortium and we've Mm. met a couple of times already and we're meeting again in October online Mm. so there are more people than just me doing this and as we come together we can start to just make more people aware of the possible impact of working in this way I suppose. I find that really interesting hearing you both talk about that you Ivan saying that you were inspired by these other sectors these other music industry comedy and stand-up and going right I'm going to translate that into dance and Katie you saying I'm just going to ask the question and let's see what they say and actually not hearing no so often which actually funnily enough leads me to my question to you Ivan which is I've always imagined that the commercial world of film and TV and music is difficult to get into. And I wonder, did you have the experience that Katie has just said that when you knocked on those doors, you were surprised that you heard yes? Or did you get the barrier that I've always imagined there to be actually surrounding that very commercial and and high profile world? Yeah, I think it's more on um, the type of dance that I was doing at the time when I was trying to get through the door because they wasn't really interested in forms from the underground, (laughs) dance forms from the underground. And, you know, when I was trying to break into the commercial dance industry as a dancer and somewhat as a choreographer, and mainly as a dancer, aesthetically, I didn't fit in, you know? And I think it it was to do with my colour of my skin and also the shape and size of my body. Um, Because I was never a big guy. I never had the muscles. I wasn't selling a certain idea. And that's what Um, they were looking for, was it? Yeah. And I was the quirky one, um, you know, with piercings, tattoos, and it just didn't fit. So I fit, 
I kind of booked jobs where they wanted the quirky, abstract black guy, <laughs> you know. Um, right. But I think that things got a lot easier when I stepped away from everything, actually, and decided I'm going to build this little machine over here. And it's taken many years to build, you know, an identity, a, a personal brand. Well, but when I started to come more into myself, you know, because I think I didn't know I could be a soloist or a principal dancer. And, um, you know, I think when you do look on the screen or you go to these vocational schools, you do think of yourself as being an ensemble dancer, you know? Yes. And uh, maybe yes, it's different when it comes to ballet, where you have your soloists and your principal dancers. But yeah, you the only kind of space you feel like you can be a soloist is the battle scene, you know, the underground dance battle scenes, because you can just be you, do your thing. But to make money, tr to try and um, go into the arts in that sense, within the form I do, um, yeah, it was very difficult. So I had a lot of no's in many different shapes and forms. But you've had a very big yes recently because you've been involved in Beyonce's film, <laughs> Black is King, which is pretty impressive. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was a bit of a, a moment when I got the call. Um, I said, I put it on my Instagram. I cried because it was, <laughs> um, I had a bad day. Um, but basically <laughs> I've been working with this uh, director called Jen Nakuru, who's an amazing film director from the UK. And we've been having a long kind of working relationship and um, yeah, she just literally said, oh, are, are you free, you know, this month? And I was like, well, I have my festival coming up cross platform. Not too sure I can make it work. And then she said, oh, but babe, it's for Beyonce. And I was like, oh, of course I will make time <laughs> I'll make for it that. work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just a stepping stone. You know, I'm very blessed to work with Beyonce and that team, but I'm an artist myself. So, you know, I'm using that experience to build myself as an artist. And I feel, especially dancers or choreographers, sometimes they don't think of themselves as artists. They just stay in this dance bubble. And that's why maybe I kind of reference the music industry and um, other kind of forms, because if I'm being honest, most of my inspiration is not dance. I am dance, I do it all the time. So I don't really have to, uh, in a sense, keep on seeking it because yeah. I am it. I've always been dance. I always move, I'm very conscious of movement, but all my inspiration has been coming from fashion, music, technology, photography. And I see myself as a multidisciplinary artist, a creative. I have an idea in my head or in my heart and I, I create that. I want to put it on, you know, even if it is still connected to dance, because that's what I usually do. I always anchor it to movement. But, you know, sometimes I want to take pictures of movement or collaborate with a, a fine artist or find a way to use AR or VR and find a way to put that you know, narrative or that story or that message or that concept onto those mediums. Um, Do you, sorry to cut in, yeah. Ivan, I was just going to bring Katie in because I, again, I really see the similarity, although polar opposite worlds, but you also, Katie, are looking at stimuli, as you just said, museums full of things that are inspiring you, taking your eye away from the dance and the movement, but 
something else that's flavoring your work. I saw you nodding the whole time that Ivan was talking. How is that manifesting in your work? I was nodding because more recently I've been mindful of the fact that the majority of my partnerships are not within the dance world and the kind of longer term, the relationships that I've been really fortunate to be able to sustain throughout lockdown have come about through a long trust building process of working with organizations or individuals who are not dance focused or maybe have dance as part of their program but it's not the only part and I've just been struck recently how, about how that's happened I'm not sure that wasn't deliberate and um, I think it is to do with the fact that the material that I make is interesting to me because it covers all of human experience and I use movement but I also use a lot of text. I'm really mindful of that when I'm working with the dancers because I ask them to speak so much and that and working with music and sometimes live music it's all become interwoven in a way that <clears throat> enables me to hopefully tell a, a story in a way that a lot of people can find a way into it even those who are not used to watching dance or maybe sometimes when we ask people, they would have chosen deliberately not to come and see something because it was dance, but because yes. they kind of happen upon it or because they see the way in which to a lot of people, I think what I make now, they think of as being more like physical theatre. I've just slowly started to kind of not cross over or lose sight of because it's a massive part of what I do, but maybe in working differently, it's just so happened that I'm finding more long term relationships with other kinds of organisation. It's back to that labelling again, isn't it? You mentioned that, Ivan, when you said, I am dance, I've always been it, I don't need to go down that road. And we have in this industry such a temptation to stick a label on someone and put them in a box. And I, funny enough, just to draw from a personal experience, I remember when I was a performer, an agent saying to me, there is no V for versatile on my folders. You know, I can't put you in V for versatile. You need to tell me what you are and you go in that category. Um, Katie, your work with the Dulwich Picture Gallery really interested me. Uh, it was a promenade performance, which you called Choreographing the Collection. And a company of four dancers, which were billed as guides, which I loved, uh, retraced the steps. And I'm quoting here of the millions of visitors who've crossed the gallery's threshold over 200 years. And I wondered if you could tell us a bit more about that particular project. I love that project because I had an opportunity to work with a curator at the gallery called Helen Hilliard uh, over a long period so definitely more than a year of just meeting at the gallery and chatting about the collection and specifically we were looking at the permanent collection because it was the 200th anniversary of the gallery and they have very well attended temporary exhibits that happen in the space and as a result quite a lot of people pass through the permanent collection without really taking it in um, we were also, through rehearsing there over a period of weeks, we became really aware that lots of people in the Dulwich community, they really treat it as a kind of living room space. And they'll just <laughs> come and sit on the benches and read the paper. <laughs> um, so and, not really engaging with that collection yeah. at all. So that's why they were looking to you to animate it in some way. In a way, it's a great thing about that space. It was problematic for us because people who were members and therefore went there regularly, they were slightly put out by the fact we were then in the space. 
and changing the normal pattern of behavior. They didn't have their bench. That's, I know. <laughs> That's exactly what happened some days. And we would have to be really cautious, like watch out because, you know, we are disrupting that environment. And the very fact of being there in someone's space that they're accustomed to is in itself something that is disruptive, even if we're doing it gently and respectfully. But you're exactly right. The gallery wanted to point to this very special collection of work and also the story of the founders of that space who were real characters in themselves and their process of curation and selecting the work was something unlike what would happen today in that if they selected some work and then they didn't quite like how it sat alongside each other they would just paint in <laughs> or I assume ask someone else to paint in details to make it line up which is completely wow. different to what would happen so there was a really interesting um, narrative around how you tell a story through how you bring work together and so the dancers were guides and they told that story really um, and ultimately led the audience outside to a temporary pavilion that had been built in the gardens there and we had a, a really physical visceral way of taking the experience from the audience experiencing the, the context and the work to being reminded of themselves and the fact that their experience of that work was the most important thing to come out of this because we were able to sort of lead them outside and into the night so exciting it wasn't, I learned a lot through working with a curator, really appreciated her support and the time she took to work with me. Talking of learning, I wondered for both of you, actually, have you ever found a language barrier between your world and the world that you're trying to link with? Yes, most definitely. Yeah, um, tell me about that. I think it's also, yeah, because it's um, different cultures, Yeah, you know? <laughs> and uh, different classes as well, you know? And um, especially the world of hip hop and street dance, it's from the black experience, you know? And we can see how the world is treating, <laughs> you know, certain ideas of black life and how they are being treated. You do feel it when you are stepping into certain institutions that, uh, you know, when you don't really see yourself, so if you don't see yourself, sometimes you feel like you can't be yourself, mm. you know? And for me, like, I had a hard time learning, you know? I think that the way my mind works is different. <laughs> and I think maybe when I was in secondary school, I might have needed certain special needs to help me understand and learn different things. And I'm very conscious of how I'm trying to come across. So there's a lot of times when, when I was growing up that I felt like I had to code switch for people to understand me or people to, in a sense, respect me. You know, even today, like, you know, the arts world is like, so tell me about your work and that I can't really speak in this fluffy language, you know, and I try, you know, I, I try my best to, but sometimes I feel um, less intelligent. Yeah. Not just school was difficult to take in information because I feel sometimes schooling, they teach you in one way. But, you know, I know a lot of people that look like me had to try to juggle and balance a lot of other stuff that's been thrown at you, you know? Do you still feel that? Because it feels like you've moved to a place 
where there's a lot of reverence for you <laughs> and your work, do you still feel that you're on that uphill struggle? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think it's, it's even worse <laughs> to a certain extent when really? you get older because okay. you're conscious of it. Yeah. And now you're undoing all of this trauma and all of these patterns, you know? And yeah, I, I definitely feel like I go into different spaces and I'm like, I haven't explained myself well. Okay. Or um, it's not good enough, you know? Because for a very long time, especially my youth, I felt like I wasn't good enough because that's what I was being told or the energy that was being projected to me. And um, when I have conversations with other black artists, it's like they feel that they can't do wrong. <laughs> so sometimes they don't try, like, you know what, it's just too hard of a task or they over try to try and get it right. And yeah. like, look, I look, I'm trying to prove myself. But I know that happens in different sorts of ways, you know, like um, I might be completely wrong here um, speaking to two women in front of me. But like, you know, when I speak to my fiance about it, she says the same thing, you know, when it comes to male and female trying to get that point across. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gosh, there's a lot to unpick there and I'm no coach, so I won't try. But imposter syndrome. Yeah. Katie, do you have that? Any, anything yeah. that yeah she's nodding to all the time yeah and that feeling of it's absolutely not the same as what Ivan's describing but I definitely feel most of the time like what I'm doing isn't good enough <laughs> and I think through lockdown I've realized just how important it is for me to feel purposeful and that's I think why even when everything was being stopped and shut I was still working. <laughs> I was still working. And I know it's the same with both of you as well, because I'm driven to just try and do better and better all the time and always feel like I'm not doing the best I can. So therefore, I'm always trying to. And I think, yeah, I don't know if that's the same for everybody or... Um, yeah. <laughs> so as well as the language that we sometimes feel that we need to learn when we're breaking into other sectors and that sense of intelligence and knowledge that you touched on, Ivan, about whether you're feeling like you're qualified enough to be speaking in these rooms or at these meetings or with these people, what other skills might you need as an artist as you navigate the world of heritage, Katie? Is there anything different would you say that an artist needs to skill themselves up with I don't think it's very different really except that you're dealing with other kinds of spaces where there are conservation concerns but I guess my approach would be the same wherever I was working and skills of being able to help people to understand and to trust I think are probably the same wherever I would be working and just in my nature also to be very organized and clear try will try to be and I found that being able to work effectively in the heritage industry environment is a lot to do with just being really clear about what you need from the space and really attentive in trying to understand what that space needs of you um, mm. so there's a kind of mutual respect and being prepared for that and having a risk assessment in place that you can just pull out as soon as they ask for it or even before <laughs> that's what I tend to do and also things like being able to work with the whole team at an organization instead of maybe just the person you're liaising with directly so I usually create a briefing sheet for the museum for the whole staff including the volunteers so that the whole community there 
who we've probably come into contact with through the rehearsal process. But if everyone understands what it is that's happening and I've made myself available to answer any questions and I guess I try to be as flexible as I can whilst not wanting to compromise the thing that I'm ultimately trying to do. There's a point at which you can't bend anymore. But I find that my dancers, especially who are just incredible because the work that I tour, we adapt it every single time to every single new site, whether that's a cave or a museum or a library. And they have just developed this understanding of how they can do that and how they can continually adapt and they work so hard at it and they kind of understand that. But I genuinely think that if I was making work in theatres, I would strive to be like that as well. So I'm, I'm not sure if it's a different set of requirements that you're trying to respond to. But mm. And you're being very conscious, aren't you, of the priorities of those people that are bringing you in, the space, the artefacts. I can only um, understand that a little bit from Greenwich Dance being based at Charlton House, actually, and, you know, that sense of... I mean, you would care for any building, but that sense of conservation. So we have talked a little bit about this as we've gone through the conversation today about audiences and understanding who we're making the work for. But Ivan, I'm really interested to know, particularly with Cross Platform, which is your own organisation that you've set up, who you are making that work for, who is that audience and what do you think they want from you and what are you giving them? It started off as... I want my friends to be seen. I want um, my peers to be seen as I felt like I had an amazing group of artists around me, but I couldn't understand why they're not superstars. Like this confuses me. And, uh, you know, developing the company over time, I realized a lot of people feel they're not seen or heard. And I looked at artists who are Muslim or LGBTQ community or other people from other areas and different parts of the world. So um, to be honest, it changes. Um, sometimes we focus on a group of people like, okay, this production or this project, we're focusing on this group. But um, I would say it's like, it's gonna sound really weird, but I'm doing it for Ivan. Okay. And what I mean by that is um, I'm not here to save the world. You know, I don't know all I feel that I am. I am a channel. And there was a question you asked, Katie, about the skills. And I think there's only one skill is communication, I feel. And I feel that me curating and doing that sort of work, what that's helped me do is instead of saying, is listen, you know. So I've learned to listen a lot more and give people a platform so other people can say and listen. And it's very much, I try to make the artists make their work on their own terms. So some artists are saying something uh, that I might not understand and they might be saying it for a particular audience. So for me, sorry, I might not making sense at all, but maybe I'm in a place where um, I wanted to save the world many moons ago. But I'm in a place where I need to save myself, you know? So me saving myself and listening to people, I give them the opportunity to... I can't get the words right <laughs> out at the moment, but... Um... I think what you're saying is hugely powerful and you're, yeah, you're underestimating quite how articulate, articulately you're putting yeah. that position. And it's interesting now, isn't it, in this global pandemic when artists freelancers the theatrical world the cultural sector is so fragile 
and yet so fundamental to saving the world. You know, who didn't watch TV during lockdown? Who didn't listen to a podcast during yeah. lockdown? Who, who didn't listen to music? You need this to keep saying, and yet. So you saying, this is about me fighting for survival. I read you completely. Yeah, because I feel that for a very long time, I was doing stuff for other people all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. trying to ple- people please. And I yeah. was like, no, I'm going to start doing this work for myself. But you then know? also you said, Ivan, just then that it was about your friends too, the superstars around you. Yeah. And, and that really interested me as I looked at both of you. Again, another really strong similarity seems to be that you both have the support of others embedded in your practice. So Katie, you've also got an online forum that you've created through the Imagination Museum. On your website, Ivan, you've got a whole page dedicated to listing the Instagram accounts of the artists that you're working with. And Ivan, you've told us a little bit about why that's important. Katie, tell us why that became such an important part of what the Imagination Museum was going to be. I think it's just about realising that I have, through doing this work for seven, eight years now, I have experiences about getting past the gatekeeper in these kinds of organisations that a lot of artists would like to work in. And also museums that I speak to say, we'd like to do more of this, but we don't know where to look. We don't know where how to go about approaching an artist. So I saw that there was a need to link those communities. And it's not something that only I'm doing. There are other people trying to integrate those two communities in different ways. I just felt like I had a knowledge that I could pass on but also exactly what Ivan was saying about communication and community it feels more important than ever now and I think the fact that we usually hold our Imagination Museum consortium events in person and as a consequence I was going to postpone the live events we had scheduled this year but I kind of put that idea out to that community of people and everyone came back and said no we still want to meet Again, an example of what Ivan was saying about how more than ever, I'm learning to listen, to let decision making processes take a bit longer in order to allow me to listen to what other people would like and then moving forward. And we had two events in July in the end and both sold out. They're free events, but both sold out within 24 hours. And then we've just announced one for October. And yesterday we've only got four spaces left and I only put it out on Tuesday. (laughs) I know that there is a really proactive community of people across dance and heritage who want to talk about new ways of working. And and it felt like something that I was interested in trying to support somehow. Mm. So sort of reached a bit of a limit at the moment because of lack of funding for it and my capacities changed a lot during lockdown but I really hope I can continue to move that forward I've seen Ivan on your website it looks incredible how you put other artists work front and center and you really showcase what they can do and give them a platform for that that's something that I aspire to be able to do better with the Imagination Museum as well thank you It's amazing. So we can't talk about doing things differently, I don't think, unless we refer to what we're all living through. Um, With theatres unsure whether they can open again safely in the near future, the need to inhabit these spaces as artists and collaborate in different ways seems just essential, really, to the survival of dance and all of us. Some people are hoping that we'll go back to normal. Others don't think normal exists. That was then. This is now. 
What has this period taught you about your work and how are you looking at the future now? Uh, I'm going down the right direction. Yeah. Uh, I had a, a conversation before I started Cross Platform and Trap Lord and said the world is changing. The internet's coming. Big cultural organisations will suffer if they don't start to look at diversity and integration and you know it's it's kind of I used to go to a lot of talks and it was used to be the same old thing I'm like you're missing the wave that's going to come and now it's hit us full throttle creatives are not in the loss creatives are always going to create artists are always going to you know create art they're always going to find a platform it's these big machines that are going to struggle I can't really speak for dancers in other you know genres of movement or styles but hip-hop street culture is constantly moving <laughs> you know it's kind of this weird thing that um finds its way it's diy culture so it's part of its heart so they've got the entrepreneurial spirit in there and it's young it's youthful the youth will that's how I get all my inspiration from. I just watch kids, <laughs> you know? I'm like, okay, that's the new thing. TikTok, okay, dance is transitioning in, into the digital space. And people are like, oh, this digital Zoom thing and TikTok and online classes. It's happened already. <laughs> it's been happening. And if you don't adapt, you won't survive. Unless you create a different type of platform. If you're not creating a different type of platform, then you're just waiting. So yeah, I just think um, the way <laughs> I think it can survive is being the multidisciplinary dance artist. Yeah. What kind of confuses me is some dancers are amazing photographers. Why haven't you taken pictures of your movement and found a way to make prints of it? and find another way to put your work out there. Or if you like clothing, take a picture or work with a, an artist and put it on a t-shirt or a jumper or a hoodie, or, you know, put it out that way, make a film. Some make music, but they don't make music for their own work. A lot of these things confuse me, where I see really interesting artists do that, you know, like from, Basquiat to Warhol to whoever, like they will put their ideas, their story, the concept into these different mediums. Dancers need to do that and stop waiting to be, I need to be in this company. I need to wait for this agent or in my sense, I need to win this dance battle. Is that it? <laughs> no, there's so much ways in and out. And I think there's different ways. And there's also different type of platforms. But there's the performance art world, which is completely different. There's the cabaret world, which is completely different. And there's so much space, <laughs> you know. I remember I went to a thing a couple years ago and it was a dance show in someone's house, you know. You can find a really interesting way to socially distance. Maybe it's one person at a time or... I don't know. It's just like, be creative. Because even for me, what I decided to do, I wanted to do it for a while, but now I've got my own studio space. So I don't need to outsource <laughs> or wait for studios to open up. So in the second wave, I can just 10 minute walk to my studio. I found a warehouse unit with other artists in there. And I, oh, this is big enough. I can have my dance studio here, over there on this second floor, 
I can have my office space. Oh, and over here, I can have a chill out place where I can just, you know, lounge and read a book. And I think dancers need to collaborate more, you know, like maybe it's a pool of people. Maybe it's two, three, four of you put in a bit of money, get a space and create, you know, if I wanted to, I could have performances at the warehouse I'm at. And there's tons of different artists but are there. Some of them are making sculptures, musicians, working in VR, like it's amazing. So I think the multidisciplinary artist is the way to go. And that's where we're at. Katie, at how about you? It's really interesting to hear Ivan talk about his experience. I, I feel um, what you were saying about, you know, you've already been doing it. <laughs> and so you sort of feel vindicated somehow. I feel very hopeful and I feel lucky that I've already been making work in spaces which are opening up in the way that theatres are not opening up. So the work is still going to look very different in the light of, you know, one-way systems, ticketed entry. We're talking about doing performances and we have to substantially limit the number of people involved because we often work with a community cast, but also watching and those people have to be on bubble mats and the performances have to use outside spaces at the museums or galleries or at the moment, the Dancing in Libraries project that I've been commissioned to do by a charity called Delight. We can't bring the children into the library, so we're making a film, but we're making that film interactive so that there are moments within it when they have to do something which is preset in their classroom. So I have been doing this for a while and I feel like I'm in a fortunate position because of that. And because my heritage partners tend to be longer term, um, the Mayflower project I've been talking about since 2016, which initially was a really frustrating thing when everything started to shut down because it had been so long in the making. But now I realise that those people, they really understand what I'm trying to do. And when they start to reopen, they don't put it to the back. They think, right, this is something we can use to energise the space. So in that sense, the future, although things may change again, but there are opportunities opening up next year to keep going. And I've had this great opportunity. Delight has um, made it happen for us to be able to continue with the libraries project. And the care package project has, after a long time of planning, has come to fruition. But I guess further in the future, I'm just keen to take what I've learned now and to keep integrating that within the work that I might do in the future because I have ideas for projects and it was always a concern of mine around access to the work and it it was most keenly felt when we were working in caves and audience members had to walk down 65 steps to get to the first part of the cave and we had people coming buying a ticket but then standing at the top not able to go down mm -hmm. for whatever reason and so it really showed me that these environments are not always accessible. And just the experience of going to see a piece of theatre is still not as accessible as it could be. And all of these things that I've been learning through the care package or through taking elements of the work online or using video in different ways, they show me a way forward to continue making more fully accessible work in the future. And I have lots of ideas for, for new projects. I just want to make sure that I move those forward with all of this new information I'm gathering. And I, I am I have to say I am nervous about that because I'm nervous about the funding bids I have to write to make that happen. I feel more vulnerable now than I have ever done. 
I'm, my resilience level has always been pretty good, but now every knockback, I feel it more deeply. So I, I am nervous about starting to put new ideas out into the world. But as long as they move forward, <laughs> then that's all I can do. And I'm, I'm with Ivan when he was talking about who he makes his work for. Quite often, I just I'm making things for myself, really, and things that satisfy me. I think, well, that's the best that I can put out in the world if I find these things funny or engaging or moving. So I think I just want to try and keep moving forward with integrity. And I'm also excited about the consortium and the opportunities now to move that community of artists forward as well. Well, that seems like a really good place to stop. And I have to tell you, I have been so inspired to be in a virtual room with the two of you. The intelligence, the ideas, the positivity, the creativity that you've brought today is really humbling. So thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. That was such an interesting discussion. It was so great to hear about your work. <laughs> And thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes about subjects, moving artists of today, then search for Talking Moves wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. And for more information about Katie and Ivan, head on over to greenwichdance.org.uk. And do remember, if you know someone you think we should talk to or have a topic you'd like us to talk about, please tweet us at Greenwich Dance. But for today, that's it from us. So do join us next time for more Talking Moves.